0: Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Olivera McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible.
1: Hi, Sarah McDonald from Beer to the Bible here. Uh, In keeping up with our theme for Mental Health Awareness Month, we are gonna be speaking about addiction and co-occurring mental disorders today. Um, I got my host here, Irvin, how are you, Irvin?
2: Hey, good, it's good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Good to be seen, and I wanted to tell you all, so we can continue to bring you to show, please go to our YouTube channel, like, subscribe, comment, and if you also would like to donate to our cause of helping those who suffer from drug and alcohol addiction, you can do so at frombeartothebible.com or hamptonministries.org, thank you.
1: Okay, we're gonna to come to you in scripture as we always start the yes. show. We're gonna be coming from 2 Timothy 1.7, and it says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind.
2: Mm, I love that. I love that scripture, and I have to pray and remember that because one of the things that I struggle with around my mental health was this whole idea of fear. And we talk about it in the big book, it talks about being controlled by a hundred forms of fear. And this is one of the scriptures I, I quote and I like to pray to remember that God is greater and bigger than our fears. Our fears, most times they, they, they dominate us and then they try to get us to focus on them instead of keeping our focus on two things I realized, the eternal things of God and then our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because it says in the Bible, perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. So I always try to internalize those things and get them deep into my soul.
1: And I think, uh, we need to remember that God was the first doctor. Mm. He prescribed us the word and the yeah. Bible, and we can go to that as our prescription for daily living, Yeah, you know, in, in conjunction with, you know, maybe we get medication or maybe we have, you know, our daily recovery stuff, but mm-hmm. God's word is. Um, feeding our soul and it is the prescription that he first wrote for us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I is God is good and he's sending us down this road. So let's continue what I've realized from talking to my friends and people who go to church and doing a lot of research is that only about 10 to 15% of people are reading the Bible, confessing Christians. Research says only 10 to 15% of them are reading the Bible daily. Right. And the Bible says that we should not man should not live by bread alone. Right. And that's we should live by the word of God. Well, if we're not digesting that, well, we're not going to be spiritually fit or we're not going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to go about living our lives, which means we're walking in and after our flesh and we won't be able to overcome the challenges of our enemy
1: absolutely um so you know the title of our topic today is addiction and co-occurring mental disorders and i just wanted to briefly give a definition of both Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of get our brains thinking about it a substance use disorder is a mental disorder that affects a person's brain and behavior leading to a person's inability to control their use of substances such as legal or illegal drugs, alcohol, or medications. Symptoms can range from moderate to severe with addiction being the most severe form of substance use disorders. Co-occurring disorders refer to having a coexisting mental illness in substance use disorders. So examples of that might be, a substance use disorder and an eating disorder, yep. or a substance use disorder and anxiety or mm-hmm. depression, um, or something else that coexists with that substance use disorder.
2: Mm-hmm. I, it, it, when I got to rehab and my chaplain, who was my counselor, um, thank you, Miss Jewel, when she said to me that I might have mental mental challenges and issues. I gotta be honest, I was kind of offended by that, right? I'm like, no, I just, I'm an alcoholic. Well, there was also, I have come to realize depression here. And then the other thing I realized was in my mind, I always looked at alcohol as this stimulant, right? I drink enough and I would feel good and I would want to go have a good time. But what I didn't realize is on the other side of having that good time, when I was coming down, I would be quite depressed, right? Yeah. Cause you got the shame of the dumb stuff you did when you were under the influence and then you've got to deal with that. And then I've consumed this depressant and I was wondering why I was not motivated, why I would be sad down and depressed and I'm consuming something that exasperates the condition yeah. and I, you know, it it was tough for me to admit that my wiring, and I I mean, my mental wiring was different from most people, right? And it was tough for me, for her to say that to me, it was tough to receive it, but I kind of always knew internally, like, I feel like my wiring's different.
1: Yeah, I was kind of the exact opposite. I um, wanted to be depressed more than an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. but I knew I was an alcoholic. But socially, um, something in my brain said, it's okay to be depressed, but not an alcoholic. So I went first to um, the doctor for my depression Mm -hmm. um, and got prescribed all kinds of medication, not explaining to the doctor how much I was drinking. And so that actually made it a lot worse. Um, And so I'm taking medication while drinking um, a (gasps) lot of alcohol and my parents (laughs) Probably thought I was just on some other planet because I was acting ridiculous. Because, yeah. um, you know, if you don't tell your doctor that and they prescribe you certain right. things for the symptoms that you're telling them, yeah. I mean, it could be a bad, bad, bad deal. So that's kind of um, where my. My whole mental health wow. stuff started. Um, I think I, yes, I was always depressed, but it was a, dir- a direct reflection of how much I was drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, you know, having taken away that alcohol, going to treatment, um, I did get to sit in my depression a mm-hmm. little bit more and learn what that looked like. Um, and then eventually had to take medication for that, but the correct medications right. while being in sobriety.
2: Right, right. So talk about some of the the side effects you experienced when you were drinking heavily, but also taking the the anti anxiety and depression medication.
1: So <laughs> I just get stories because <laughs> my parents told me that I would I walk <laughs> around you know with this blank look. Yeah. Um, they thought. I mean, they saw the devil. Like yeah. I think it's very interesting to me because being mm. a believer and then you know heavily relying on faith, they saw that darkness. They saw that blank look. They saw that despair, and they saw the devil in that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, and I remember feeling like that. I remember wow. feeling empty. I remember feeling like that that um, evil spirit had taken control over me. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I contribute: depression. Too is just that evil spirit taking over my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I would hallucinate, I would have that blank stare and blank look. The more I drank, I would just, you know, pass out, yeah, for hours, (laughs) um, sleep for hours. You know, I'd sulk in that depression, I'd have pity parties for myself. It just was not a good place to be, yeah.
2: And the mental patterns that we develop when we're drinking and when we're drugging, even when we're taking the prescribed medications for our mental health issues, if we're still doing those drugs, the side effects are, are just so detrimental to our mental health. And I remember going to the doctor and I said kind of, you know, I'm, I'm anxious all the time. And they said, that I think he gave me, uh, I think it was Xanax or something. So I took that, but kind of like you said, I was drinking and and I felt like, man, this makes me more anxious, right? So I, I tried that for a while and my friends, the wrong friends were saying to me, hey, you need to take two or three and then drink. So, you know, I'm alcoholic, <laughs> that sounds great to me. So I'm taking two or three of those and I'm drinking, but I never, one, I never got high. I felt like it interfered with my alcohol buzz, right? Uh, For me, it didn't work. So I got off the the Xanax and then I I looked at the side effects. So I probably had maybe about a 10 day experiment with that. And I just felt like no alcohol is the answer, uh, which truly it wasn't. And when I did, as I started to go through counseling at, at the treatment center and they started to diagnose me mentally and talk to me about it, I realized that I had a lot of wrong thought
0: patterns,
2: right? A lot of, I spent too much time in my head. I spent too much time in fear. I spent too much time either in my past or way down the future, yeah. you know? And, and when they told me the revelation of, hey, just, just live for today, for right now, um, man, that sounded like good medicine for me.
1: Yeah, um, so you talked about Xanax being a person in um, recovery and a person that um, has substance use disorder, Xanax would Mm -hmm. have interfered with your addiction. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of us don't realize that um, there are non-addictive medications to take and there are medications that contribute to your substance use disorder. And so I think it's very important for you guys out there um, who don't know this, um, there are Xanax, um, there's benzodiazepines that um, that doctors prescribe to you. And if they don't know that you have addiction mm-hmm. um, in your history or you have substance use disorder, or they don't know how much you're drinking, that's actually gonna make your symptoms worse. Yeah. Um, because you, sh- if you are a real al- addict or alcoholic, you should not be taking any benzodiazepines because that sets off the brain to yeah. more addiction. And yeah. so a lot of people don't realize that know no. that. And so you need to find a doctor that specializes in mm-hmm. addiction medicine, um, and co-occurring disorders.
2: Yes. And I'm glad you said that because when I got out and I went to see my doctor, I said, I want it noted in my file that one, I've been in treatment, one, that I'm an addict, alcoholic, alcohol was my thing. Yep. So don't give me, you know, any pain pills, all this stuff. I said, so that way you're clear so that even if I'm not conscious, my wife's going to tell you anyway, but I'm telling you yep. and mark my file yep. and Many times it goes back to kind of what we talked about in the last show, this shame element. Well, you're not the only one that's been addicted to alcohol and drugs. So you're not telling your doctor anything that he hasn't heard or known before, but it could save you from relapsing. And I think you and I both know, we know enough people in and out of recovery. And there's a common theme that I noticed lately is that some people uh, are led down a path to relapsing by, hey, take this pain pill because their back's hurting you yep. or, or something prescribed by their doctor. And a lot of times their doctor didn't even know that person was an addict or an alcoholic.
1: Well, and sometimes it goes beyond that. And, and we don't know that our, hist- our family history is yeah. um, of addicts and alcoholics yeah. prior to, so, you know, um, my Our doctor at the treatment center that I work at t- tells a story about, you know, being in internal medicine, and he had a college athlete come to him, um, you know, for mm-hmm. hurting his knee or something. And anyways, he gave him, he prescribed him pain medication, and he came back later and was like, hey, doc, what's that stuff you gave me? I really liked it. And yeah. he's like, what do you mean you liked it? <laughs> You're not supposed to like no. it. Like, what do you mean by that? And so it affects people differently, but yeah. that's how people get hooked on painkillers. Yeah. It starts with a prescription and then lo and behold, you're going to the street finding that prescription.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a part of it is knowing yourself and a part of it is our family history. Like we, we, we talk about, and I guess we could sit there for a second is As now, after I got into addiction, I learned about our family history with alcohol. Now, primarily in my family, it's the alcohol that has been the issue. And it's primarily confined to one side, but when I started to like dig into it, I saw a history of men in my family who have been uh, addicted to, to alcohol. So now we can talk and educate the younger men and also the young women in our family and say, hey, look, this has been a challenge for us. So perhaps you either refrain or you use this responsibly.
1: I think another thing that we don't talk about is traumatic experiences that Mm. we experience as a child or trauma in our life um, as a contributor to those Mm -hmm. mental illnesses. you know, there's people that have gone through things or seen some things in their childhood or in their yeah. adolescence that um, they're resilient. They bounce back from those things, but they hide them in different parts of their brain yeah. and they show up later on as adults um, and they don't know what to do with them. Or they show up as an adult and they were like, I never had a drink of alcohol before I was 40 years old. Now I'm full blown alcoholic. Full blown. How did that happen? Yeah. And it's because of that trauma that we didn't uncover or deal with um, you know, at certain points of our life that is showing up and manifesting later on. Yeah. I.
2: <laughs> we have this stuff in our closet and we tend to keep it there and we feel like I'm over that, right? I had a bunch of stuff locked down deep in my closet, bitterness, resentment, and quite honestly, when uh, I started to unpack that, I had made that stuff way bigger than it was. I actually added on to the story, right? So I'll just talk about my mom, for instance, there was something that I had created in my mind. And when my mom sat me down and told me, well, this is really what happened, man. I had blown that thing out to a hundred on a scale of one to a hundred. I had it at a hundred and it was really like a 10, right? Because the enemy kept adding things and I kept buying into it. So I got it down here in my closet and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And it was eating at me and I never wanted to address it and all my years of sobriety and working through the ministry and working with other people in recovery, there's one common theme that I seem to run across. And that is this issue of trauma that is either needs to be addressed or has not been addressed and it manifests itself through addiction and, and, and mental illness and depression. So, so talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, trauma—it's a buzzword right now, mm. um, but it's real. Um, my example of trauma that I could share with you guys is that um, there's there's lots of different trauma, but yeah. so what I see in my own family history and, and researching my family dynamic is my parents lost a child two years before I was born, mm. and though they were sad, though they um, probably grieved. I don't know if they ever got help for that. I don't yeah. know if they ever, I don't, I know that they didn't go to therapy for that. Yeah. Um, and then they had me and of course, you know, they, they, they think that they overcame that or they prayed it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but that elephant was still in the room. Yeah. And so, you know, in my mother's womb, I was experiencing her sadness because there's all kinds of probably feelings that she was feeling um, throughout that pregnancy. She was probably longing for the child that she had lost. And and we take that in, in the womb and it Mm -hmm. starts there. And I don't think any of us realize um, that that can happen starting in the womb. And so I came out (laughs) probably having some (laughs) of that depression that my mother had um, and I didn't even know about it. And so it's so beautiful that today I've done the work on myself Mm -hmm. and I can realize that. And I've done, um, when I was pregnant, I did work on myself so that my child didn't have any of that depression feeding into her. And it's just profound how much research has come Mm -hmm. out about depression and trauma and how they're linked together and how all of that um, shows up. And Mm -hmm. so I just think it's fascinating. There's so many examples like that. But if we really look back onto our lives, there's some things that we can all unfold peel back and really work on so that we don't, you know, end up where we are. Or if you are out there and you're suffering with substance use disorder or co-occurring disorder, or you have a loved one, um, just know, just love them where they're at, because there probably is a reason that they're there. And so instead of just seeing the addiction or the mental illness, if we look at them through the lens of a child that was maybe traumatized, we yeah. might see them a little bit differently and have a little bit more compassion and love for trying to get to the bottom of the issue.
2: Yeah, when, when I got out of rehab, I came home and I told my wife, <laughs> I don't think she was happy about this. I said, I think you need to go to rehab. I think everyone needs to go yes. to rehab <laughs> because it, it's 31 days for me. It was 31 days of working on myself delving into my closet. And I'll be very honest with you. I think I had stuff like 99% of my trauma was in my closet. Right. Yeah. And it was manifesting itself. And trauma starts to eat you from the inside out. Right. My, my insides, you talked earlier about how in your eyes, you felt like, I I call it, when I go back and I look at photos of myself then, I said, man, I look at my eyes, I go, that guy's dead. Uh That guy is spiritually dead. And my wife said, why don't you change the picture on your license? I said, no, because I always want to know what I was. right." And I look at my license picture and and you just see like, dear, where's his soul at? Where's his love? Where's his hope? Where's his faith? And I had totally lost all of that and you could see it manifesting from the inside
1: out oh it hurts my heart to look back at pictures even though it's important to look at those pictures yeah. um, seeing that that godless person yeah. you know that dead soul um, who was once vibrant and yeah. had so much like I see that little girl inside of her and yeah. want to just take her out of that pit. Yeah. Thankfully, you know, God did that for me. And I, but looking at those pictures hurts my heart and man, makes me want to cry. Man, man,
2: it brings up in a couple of things. So we we address our trauma, we work on it. And then we have this, I had a lot of bitterness and resentment and, and all these hurts and things. And I'll be quite honest with you. Um, some of them I'm still working through, right? They, they come up so if you're doing this work and you feel like i'm not getting anywhere you're not alone you will forgiveness is a process getting and healing from the trauma and the things that we go through in life it's a process and some of that is ongoing some of that god delivers you from there's some certain certain things sins behaviors and habits the lord delivered me from but then there's just these other ones that he's working on and i have to be I'm gonna say I have to be uncomfortably comfortable with him continuing to do the work because remember he came to heal the sick. Well, you're looking at a guy who's sick and so there's a process to get the healing. And then the other thing I wanna say to you guys out there, do not feel like you're alone or there's stigma around mental health and addiction and them co-occurring or them you being attacked by them separately, Yes. because both of them, there is stigma inside the church and without, and the the two words of the Lord gave me this year that I'm working on, and I'm not perfect with it by any stretch of the imagination is continuing to choose love and unity. And you spoke about it. Like when we have these loved ones going through mental health, addiction, whether they're separate or apart. Let's first start and address them in love.
1: Yes, absolutely. So for me, when I first got sober, um, my prescription was the word and my prescription Mm -hmm. was 12-step recovery. Mm -hmm. And those spoke to me and through me and Mm -hmm. I was fed by those. Um, About four or five years into my sobriety, Mm -hmm. my husband starts going through substance use disorder. And um, I had, I basically kind of just I just, everything that I knew went out the door. Yeah, I was dealing with this sick person and I just picked up my bootstraps, which I know how to do from mm-hmm. childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just continued to, to move on for my child, for yep. myself, um, tried to protect him, tried to get him help, tried to do all the things. Yep. And through that process, um, I became depressed. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally got him into treatment, I was stuck there with him being in treatment and me having nobody to, um, to fix, Yeah, you yeah. know, that codependency, that's <laughs> yeah. the word. I didn't have anyone to fix. And so I was with my feelings stuck and I yeah. didn't know what to do. So I finally, you know, I, I made an appointment with my doctor and I said, I'm feeling, um, zero energy. I yeah. want to sleep all the time. Yeah. I'm apathetic. Didn't I you. don't know what's going on with me. And he's yeah. like, sounds like you need, you know, an an antidepressant. And I'm like, oh no, I'm in recovery. I don't want those medications. And he was like, Sarah, we'll start you on just, this is like Mickey Mouse, you know, we'll get you on some Wellbutrin, um, a low milligram. We'll see if that doesn't help. And it immediately helped. It helped, you know? And so I took that for a while, um, while I was doing counseling, because it's important to do both. Yeah, And so work in my program, going to therapy, taking medication, and I started balancing myself out. Mm -hmm. Um, Started working out a lot again, and so my endorphins started changing, serotonin started being produced. And so after a couple years, I was like, I don't really need this anymore, you know? And so I slowly got off the medication and I was fine for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit. And so many of you guys are probably experiencing some things that you're not aware of right now. And a lot of it has to do with COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, So COVID came around and I thought I had all the tools. I was going to meetings, I was going um, to church, I was reading scripture, I was doing all the things, even more so because the ability to do it all on Zoom right, was great, right right. right? right. And so I thought, okay, I'm prepared. I have all the tools in my toolbox. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna kick COVID's butt.
2: Yeah.
1: a <laughs> um, Couple months go by, and I started having those same <sighs> feelings that I had years ago. Yeah. And I knew from experience that that was depression yeah. seeping in again. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to my doctor and I'm like, look, I think I need to get back on this because yeah. I'm being affected. Okay. And thankfully, I knew, you know, what to do. I knew what those feelings were and I knew that there was something yeah. to help me through that. And so I went back to the doctor and I got back on Wellbutrin. Yeah. Um and I'm still I'm still on it today and um processing through everything. I'm still in therapy mm-hmm. again. And yeah. so there's different, you know, there's different times. I don't go to therapy all the time, yeah. but there's months I go to therapy and then there's months I don't go to therapy. Yeah. And so just being aware of, mm-hmm. of yourself and mm-hmm. your needs is the most important thing. And those of us who live in traumatic homes or come from chaos in our yeah. homes, we learn how to live, right? Yeah. We learn how to survive. Yeah. And we don't even take the time to check in with ourselves and to realize I need something. Yeah. Whether it is counseling, whether it is medication, Mm -hmm. whether it is the word of God. Yeah. Um, being being whole, mind, body, and spirit is taking a look at all those aspects of life and having balance in all those aspects of life. And so, I mean, it's so important to be able to check yourself and figure out what it is that you're needing in that season. Yeah. And
2: uh, in a lot of what you said in the counseling. And for me, what's so important is not to be in my head and to be in fellowship because I still believe in counseling. And I believe that most of us are going to need, especially if you're in recovery, you're going to need a continuation of, of, of counseling because things come up, right? Things come up in your soul. You, you face trials and tribulations in life. And one of the things that has been so important for me uh, as a man is having accountability partners to check me, you know, when my, when my thinking's wrong, uh, when I wanna act on impulses and behaviors that are against the word of God, but also not good for my recovery, right? And I had to get to a point where I was okay with that. Then I also have godly pastors and counselors that speak into my life that I make an effort to go out with, to fellowship with, because the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, right? So we want to be around those who want to be sober, around those who want to stay and be recovered and continue in recovery. But also for for us, because we love the Lord, we want to be around believers and those who love the word of God and want to walk in the will of God. I, I, I want you to talk about the, the importance of just submitting and surrendering to, to counseling, because I think internally for years, I knew that I needed counseling, but I came from a background of, okay, we're going to talk to the Lord about it. We're going to pray about it. And I kept waiting and, but I, I wasn't taking any steps of faith, right? I'm still drinking praying, reading the Bible, family praying, but I'm really not taking any baby steps of faith towards any kind of treatment or counseling. Um,
1: so the immediate thing that comes to my mind first and foremost is that I wanna speak on what you said about community because mm-hmm. we tend to isolate yeah. a lot, especially in mental health and addiction. Mm-hmm. We think that nobody wants our burden. We yeah. think that, and it's so important. I'm reading a book right now, Jeannie Allen, Find your people. And it talks about God put that in us. We need community. Mm -hmm. You know, back in the day, they had villages and you were around your people all the time, so they couldn't you couldn't hide, you know? Or somebody would go and and get you out and be like, what's going on, you know? And now it's like the enemy wants to keep us separated. And especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have church, we didn't have fellowship, we didn't have 12 step recovery. For us in this world of substance use disorder, and mental health, it was scary, you know? And a lot of us don't realize, and and even today, if you are in recovery, check your motives, check yourself and, and, you know, go and get out of your comfort zone because we got real comfortable in that isolation. Oh yeah. And I think it's super important for us to know that people want to know how we're doing. Yeah. People want to see messy because then they can be messy. Yeah. And that's okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you give them your messy, they give you back their messy because you make it okay. And during the whole COVID time, and even now people say, Well, I'll meet with you, but let's just do it over Zoom. And I'm not, look, I'll use Zoom as needed, but I'm more of let me see you face-to-face because look, I can hide behind a text, I can hide behind Zoom, but if you and I are in each other's company, you could probably tell when I'm down or I'm not myself. And that gives you the opportunity to say, hey, what's going on with you? And nine times out of 10, I'm gonna talk to you. But when we're in these settings, Zoom and text makes us feel like we're fellowshipping, but it isn't the fellowship that I believe the Lord God truly, truly wants from us.
1: Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to address the second question that you um, asked about counseling and when you know you need counseling and um, the stigma around counseling. Um, From a very early age, I started reading self-help books, and I think that was god doing for me what i couldn't do for myself yeah, because i was searching i was looking for answers yeah. and i feel like i remember asking my mom to go to counseling early on and she was like you don't need that yeah um and today as a mother i know not to do that i yeah. know to, you know it's okay to go to counseling It's you know your brain is like yeah. the second largest organ or whatever yeah. and it's so important. We can't see the brain. We yeah. can't see what's going on That's in there. True. Yeah. And you need to keep your brain healthy just as much as any other organ in your body. And yeah. I think we forget that. Yeah. It's okay to get help for a healthy brain. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just like anything else in life. And so just know that, you know, going to counseling doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you per se, right. but All of us have issues, all of us have messy, all of us have something to talk about. Even if you don't think that you need to go to counseling, going and talking to somebody, once you're in that um, back and forth with a therapist and they're asking you questions, things Mm -hmm. start to come up, things start to unfold and you were like, oh. Maybe I do need to talk about this issue. Yeah. So I think it's really important for us to just know that it is okay to go to a counselor. It -hmm. is okay for our children to go to a counselor. It is okay for you and your spouse to go to a counselor. Um, And there's no stigma behind it. It's actually a lot cooler. Yeah,
2: It, (laughs) it, 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 it is. And I think a lot of our listeners know that I went to Brigham Young University and you know, that's Mormon school. I wasn't Mormon. So I remember getting caught buying a 12 pack of beer. The guy sold me the beer and then he called Coach Edwards who was our head coach at the time. So he busted me out. So I go to see Coach Edwards and he had this way of closing the door as you walked in behind you. I didn't know he had a button under the table. So I was like, how did he do that? So anyway, he asked me why I did it. I explained to him. And so they put me in counseling. They sent me to see a counselor. That was like my first time in actual counseling. And I remember laying on the couch. This was back in the day where you lay down and And I said to myself, this isn't as bad as I thought, right? Because I I went in I was like, I'm not going to be cooperative with this, this guy. But he started asking me questions. And next thing I know, man, I'm like, and I stayed in that for a while and it, it started. That was the first time, honestly, I realized like, counsel is not a bad word because where I'm from, it's kind of like the Lord's your counselor. But we have to always remember God can do miraculous things, but he also works in and through people, his children, doctors, counselors. Resources that you know we always say God is our source, but God uses people and resources on Earth uh, to help you get the healing that you need. And as we wrap up, you know, give give us some closing thoughts. And-
1: well, it, the enemy is there to kill, steal, and destroy, as yeah. we talk about on the show all the time. And yeah. he's going to say you don't need counseling. He's going to say you don't need community. Yeah. Um, he's going to go into those places of you're not good enough and those are going to speak very loud to you Mm -hmm. and so i think in jesus name we need to say um in jesus name take away my mental health in jesus name help me be clear about who i am in jesus name um please get me out of this addiction in jesus name please Allow me to be willing
2: mm, to yeah. hear
1: what, I, what it is that I need, mm-hmm. um, whether that is counseling or medication or 12-step recovery or drug and alcohol treatment. There is help out there and we want you to get help and it's okay to get help.
2: Yes, and I'm gonna add one of the enemy's greatest tools that he's using right now is division and distraction. Division and distraction. So let us choose love and unity And let us always remember, no matter what the issue, the problem, the challenge, the mental health, the addiction, is the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. Trust God, He loves you, and He has a great plan for your life. We'll see you next time on From Beer to the Bible.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.